0: Pop yourself a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start with some talking And some movie clips and popcorn fighting Fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching And some blind unboxing, Full month horror movie marathon Sometimes I let the box come on Contests and the push you know it's all about games I said slow down let's just start with the name It's the nerd. Variety. Okay. With the other, Jason: Welcome back to Nerds RPG Cast. I'm your host Jason. Today, I've got only two segments in the show. We have a mailbag segment with some wonderful calls from a gr- number of great people. And then I have an unboxing segment where I open a bunch of boxes covering everything from Howardian, is that even a word, Robert E. Howard-inspired RPG materials to a spooky board game to some reading material inspired by the Night Stalker TV show, or you know, Call Track, the Night Stalker TV show. So I've got the mailbag segment first, and then we'll go into the unboxings. So let's get into the mailbag. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke, but by your spouse, but the operator screams is coming from
1: inside the house.
0: The first piece of mail we're going to open is from Joe Salvador of Raven Guy Games. He's going to initially talk about the Reaver Recap that I did last episode. Reaver, of course, is a pending sword and sorcery game from Raven Guy Games that I'm lucky enough to help play test. And then we're going to talk about whether Cthulhu is still scary. And he's going, to, Mr. Salvador is going to respond directly to Dr. Love's comments. Dr. Love, of course, is Joe Richter of the Hindsightless podcast who felt that aliens in space that don't care about him doesn't scare him. And so Mr. Salvador is going to try to clear that up. We will hear more from Dr. Love, by the way, later in this episode.
2: Hey, Jason. Once again, thanks for the Reaver recap. Uh, Very cool. I had a really good time with the session. Honestly, I thought there was some interesting role-playing. And I enjoyed, like, exploring that setting a little bit, um, particularly with um, Askeld's uh, shamanism and his deities. Uh, The goddess that you mentioned is Nerthus, who is... um, it's an ancient Germanic deity mentioned by Tacitus. Uh, I don't think too much is known about her or it, um, but uh, yeah, I haven't really put a lot of time into the um, like the religion aspect of the of the setting yet. Uh, so I don't really know what I'm gonna do with it, but I don't know. It works for now. Um, and as far as Lovecraft goes, yeah, I think you're you're spot on. Uh, I'm gonna run out of time, so I'm gonna call you back. Yes, yeah, so a Lovecraft. I think um, the other part of the, the Lovecraft discussion here with um, Mr. Joe Richter uh, is that it's not always, particularly in the original Lovecraft stories, it's not that the aliens are out there in space and they don't care about us. It's actually that they're here on Earth and they've been here a long time and they've had some sort of influence in the history of human, humanity. And even in At the Mountains of Madness, uh, it's hinted that the the elder things actually created mankind accidentally. So, I mean, obviously, woo, that's scary. But uh, for the time it was written, um, and for people who, you know, might have been religiously devout, you know, what would that mean for, for somebody like that, where they would actually be faced with uh, proof that this occurred, that that God doesn't exist or whatever? Strange.
0: Later. Thank you, Mr. Salvador. I really appreciate that. I'm having a great fun in your game, and I look forward to the next session of that. The next call is from Daniel Norton of the Bandits Keep Media Empire. Mr. Norton is a media baron who has not only a podcast and a YouTube channel, he also has an actual play YouTube channel. He's currently working on some games of his own, and he has products for sale on DriveThru RPG. And while he's going to comment on the subject of is is Cthulhu scary still, he's first going to verify for us that indeed the scariest thing is the human ego.
3: Now that I've risen to the uh, the place of media empire, I'd like to thank the little folks that helped get me there. Um, You know, don't worry, I won't forget about you in my memoirs that I'm writing. Um, uh, Actually, these messages that I leave on your podcast are probably my memoirs. I don't know if that's amazing or sad. Oh, and since I have time. Yeah, I don't find Cthulhu scary at all. I I, I get it that uh, I think that times are different. You know, in the 1920s where people thought much differently, um, I think that kind of thing that, that, they're, that what we know is not what we know and that, you know, humans aren't the center of the universe or whatever. I think most people now, um, because there's more and more sci-fi that they're reading, they that's not such a hard blow to take. So that's kind of my take on that. Although, of course, I'm going to have to leave it on message. I guess what I mean is that if you, you know, just in general, maybe it's just people I interact with, but I think people are less likely to think that if we were to fly into outer space and land on Mars and there was people there that they'd be like, Oh, humans are amazing. Teach us your ways. You can lead us. And more think the way of like, yeah, they're probably way more advanced than we are. And we're not that we're not all we think we are. And maybe Lovecraft, Claft, Claft? Lovecraft? Lovecraft helped shape that. I don't know. Um, but I think that's what makes I agree. That's what makes Lovecraft scary is that it's a, it's a uh, it's basically showing you what you believe is, is wrong. So maybe in a way demons are less scary because if you believe in that kind of stuff and then you see them, you're like, oh, wow, I was right. But I think what Joe makes a good point, uh, Joe Richter, that something going after me directly is much more of a scary thing. And I'm air quoting than just a cosmic uh, where we're nothing but. While the media
0: baron did manage to cut himself off. He did take time to label the message, which I, as one of the little people, greatly appreciate. And going by the label that message, I think he wanted to end, even though we're nothing but dust in the wind, quoting the two great ones when they first met Socrates. And yes, he did compliment Joe Richter of Hindsightless, Dr. Love, as he's now known. But he throws some shade at Dr. Love later on, so it all equals out. Next up is another doctor, Dr. Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents podcast. Dr. Rodriguez knows a thing or two about Cthulhu and horrors from beyond imagination and time and space, and he weighs into the subject. Let's go to him now.
1: I think I agree with Joe more than I agree with Joe, which is an interesting dilemma, right? That it can almost make you go mad. Because which Joe is it? I think the horror of being insignificant and small is a great deal more than the horror of something with stats. But that's the way the game does it, right? I don't know. Um, If aliens suddenly came to Earth, I think we would all freak the fuck out. And realize that we are insignificant, and everything we believed in is probably not true, right? So, and especially aliens of such magnitude, and I don't know, technology that it would make us seem like ants, right? Less than ants. I don't know. What's interesting is that a lot of these these games are 1920s, right? So. Has horror changed from the 1920s to now? And what is more horrific? I've noticed that like, um, when we're being, when I see modern scenarios, there's a bit more gore and body horror in them. So maybe that is what disturbs people. Um, There's a horror involved in sexual tension, um, like you see in some Delta Green adventures or in what Stygian Fox puts out. Right, who are, and they, and they, and even reading them, they're very disturbing. And maybe that's the thing, they're more disturbing than horrific. But maybe it's that horror of being disturbed or that fear of being disturbed, and that's just not right. And with uh, some sort of evil machinition behind it is what makes the Call of Cthulhu a uh, horror tale.
0: Thank you, Doctor. I wonder if part of that is just the fact it's easier to grow somebody out it's easier to use body horror, the horror of sexual violence and odd sexual things, you know, gore. It's easier to, to scare somebody with that than it is to achieve that existential horror. Some movies achieve both. The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, achieves both. I, I think that David Cronenberg, in his better films, achieves both some sort of existential horror, as well as obviously through the body horror he does. He, he definitely can turn your stomach in some of his movies. But doctor, as you well know, it's always good to get a second opinion. So let's bring in Dr. Love. Now, for some introductions. Ah, here we are. I'm Hadley, internal medicine. Dr. LaFong, communicable diseases. Dr. Boyer, Bacteriology, and Dr. Stinson, Marston and Gill of the Northampton Trauma Institute, and Dr. Imhaus of the Zurich Relief Fund. These are our newly arrived surgeons, Drs. Trowbridge and Greenbaum. Doctor? 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 Doctor. Doctor. Doctor? Doctor. 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 Doctor? Doctor. Doctor. And Doctor. Well, we miss anyone? Why don't you gentlemen relax? The tribe's planning a raid on a Soviet tank division tomorrow. There'll be plenty for us to do then. Doctors? Doctor? Doctor? Doctor. Doctor? Doctor? Doctor. Doctor? 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 Doctor. Doctor. Doctor? We're not doctors. we got to get out of this place immediately, if not sooner. No, no, no. Not until I've had... Excuse me.
4: Yo, Jason, so here's some more blunt force trauma for you. I hope we find out that everything we grew up on is wrong, man. Like... <laughs> I'm in that camp dude I feel like we've been lied to Or not lied to But we've been given bad information for a long time On a whole lot of subjects And we're slowly figuring out that A lot of that information we learned as children And adopted into our adult lives Is wrong (laughs) Is not correct That shit doesn't scare me That makes me really happy Again Having An entity that is out to destroy your personal life. (laughs) That is way the hell scarier than this existential nonsense. I don't find that stuff scary in the least bit. I don't care that the universe does not care about me. That doesn't matter (laughs) to me personally. Anyway, peace out.
0: So, Doctor, I hear you saying that having something specifically target you for destruction... Like the decades-long advice from the USDA, which culminated in the food pyramid, recommending 11 servings of bread and grain daily to fatten you up, to roll you over, and shove you in the witch's oven. That would scare you more than the idea of Cthulhu waiting to awake, dreaming, but not sleeping. Yes, I can see why it would. But the doctor's not done. He's now going to switch to a familiar whipping boy of his, Gary Gygax.
4: Yo, dude, so something you said on the Bandits Keep latest episode sparked my attention. So here we go, man. You mentioned that because OD&D can be adapted to a bunch of different genres, that makes it a strong system. I wonder about that, though. I mean, you can adapt Powered by the Apocalypse to all the system all the genres does that make it a strong system i don't know spike pit system of make shit up roll dice make more shit up can be adapted to any and all genres <laughs> so does that mean it's the strongest system in the history of the world or does it just mean that if you strip a game down enough make it rules light enough you can adapt it to any genre without much of a fuss because there's not much there to begin with I don't know, what do you think? Peace out. Yo, dude, so here's a question. If od d with Chainmail would make such an ideal horror game as opposed to the horror game you already have, why would you need to make so many changes to OD&D whereas you, didn't, you wouldn't have to make any changes to the horror game you already have? That doesn't make sense, man. <laughs> like, I don't get that. I'm not saying O D D is a bad game or nobody should play it, but I am saying it was a rough draft that Gygax let the public beta test for him and then put out other versions to fix all the mistakes. So, yeah, I I, I do believe that I've heard you talk about how you don't like it when game companies put out games and let the public beta test it, but that's what Gygax did. So, yeah, (laughs) you know, play what you want for sure. No shade on anything, but I just, I don't get the hype. I don't get it.
0: Peace out. So my point wasn't that ODD plus chainmail is better than Slasher Flick as a horror game, and to be honest, I have not run Slasher Flick yet. I've only read it, but it does look like it'll do a good job. My point was that the way Slasher Flick approaches the idea of running a horror game is a very smart way to do it. And it would be very easy to adapt od plus Chainmail to do something very similar. Meaning, if you were going to use od plus Chainmail as your base generic system, then it should be able to do horror without a problem. And horror is one of the tougher genres to get right. That was all I was trying to say. Which, unfortunately, years of training and education and study have twisted Dr. Love's mind to where he only sees red when he sees the name Gygax. We will now change scenes as Dr. Love furiously stabs his Gygax pillow again and again, and again. The camera pans out of his room, seeing the little Gygax voodoo dolls with pins in them. But we switch scenes, and we switch back to New York City, where we rejoin media baron Daniel Norton, who's gonna shift the conversation to cyberpunk, and he's gonna talk about actions in three seconds again. And he has a point, Throwing a number of punches in three seconds is different than doing a variety of different things in three seconds. And I will concede that some of the examples he gives in these next couple calls would be hard to accomplish in three seconds. But I would defend the example of Muhammad Ali because Dr. Carl Rodriguez's character, his solo in Cyberpunk 2020, Marcus Red is built with a lot of points. So he's equivalent to a high-level character in a game. So he's equivalent to your your high-level fighters in D&D or, you know, high-level character in any game because he built a lot of points. And solos have enhanced reflexes. They, They get to, you know, react fast, attack fast, let them move faster than the average person. So comparing his solo to Muhammad Ali probably is not an unfair comparison, to be honest. If we were playing a game where you played zero to hero i would agree that that zero starting character would be an unfair comparison but your cyberpunk characters because i gave you what 80 points or whatever to start with are the equivalent of the heroes you guys are the top of the food chain in the cyberpunk world so consider that but consider that
3: while you listen to mr norton's calls i don't know i mean pointing out muhammad ali As an example, (laughs) that's something Joe would do. Sorry, Joe. You know when he trying to explain that all adventurers are are superstars or whatever a power built, but you know, and I didn't mean thirteen punches or ten punches. What I meant was ten actions. So I run across the room. I pick up my gun. I eat a pizza. I you know do my taxes. Like basically if you're just doing one thing, like obviously I could shoot and, and then, okay. And then also what doesn't make sense is, isn't there a limit on how many, no, I guess it's not a limit on how many bullets you can shoot. So I don't know. Anyways, my point being anyways, in the whole thing was that none of them are really realistic. So why even bother just have fun with the game. And they're made as a balance point to make the game fun. And every system, you know, has its little quirks and I like it. I have no problem with cyberpunk. I just don't think any of them are realistic. Oops, I forgot to label that one, but um, <laughs> I, I did want to say, though, because the time was running out, I forget what game it is. Was it Harn that you had mentioned before when we were talking about initiative um, where like it's like an ongoing combat? Like each uh, action takes a certain number of segments or whatever, and then it just keeps rolling forward into the next round. That, to me, seems like it would, it would be probably one of the, more, the most uh, realistic if you wanted to play it out that way because this really is tracking every move, and each move happens at a certain point during the round. So that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, but not that anything, again, not that anything needs to be realistic. I just don't see, you know, having all those actions. You know, I could take five actions. So I could run across the room, eat a pizza, do my taxes, shoot the guy, and then go down and heat up my car so that, you know, I'm not cold when I drive to work in the morning. That just seems like it's more than you could realistically do in three seconds, unless you were really motivated.
0: It depends how much coffee you've had, right, Daniel? The game I was talking about was Hackmaster, the current edition. You can get the free basic rules, I believe, still I believe the basic rules are free still in PDF, if you want to check that out. The the count up system. Daniel's not quite done yet though.
3: See, as usual, I should have waited till the end. Because <laughs> you mentioned the shooting. Yeah. So yeah, so it is limited. But again, I think it's a game, right? It's a game. We gotta play it the way that it's designed. It's designed for a reason. So people aren't just uh you know, using, whatever, taking 17 shots or whatever because, because they can for whatever reason. Maybe they have a bunch of bonuses. So, yeah, it's cool. I mean, I, I like it. I'm not a huge fan of Cyberpunk in general, but I actually like Friday Night Firefights. Um, I think it's actually a really interesting system. If you just want to do, like, um, move move minis around and shoot at each other and do, like, just a fun shooting game, I think it would be really cool for it because it's got, like, enough crunch to make that more interesting than just I roll dice so I definitely, I definitely uh, am a fan of the Friday Night Firefights system, uh, even though the genre itself of cyberpunk is not really my jam. But anyways, I'm enjoying the game, and I'm looking forward to playing, actually, tonight.
0: I should comment really quickly that, well, let me do a couple administrative comments here. One, the reason you didn't hear any gaming recaps is because no games happened this week. That cyberpunk game didn't happen. Unfortunately, real life has stuck its big ugly head up and intruded into my gaming scene. Podcasting is probably gonna get dropped back just a two week, just a Wednesday and a Sunday show as opposed to you know split shows with less call ins and and because I'm gonna have less content, that'll probably work out okay. I'm probably gonna end up dropping some games. We'll see how that works out. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm just gonna scale back for a little bit. Okay. I, I guess I should give you another administrative comment. I do hope people realize that we're kinda of joking around. There's some sarcasm going on here with some of this stuff. Although Carl Rodriguez does have PhD and and legitimately has earned the title of doctor. But when we're calling Joe Richter, Dr. Love, you know, we're just messing around. And when I throw the term media baron out with Daniel Norton, I'm just kidding around. As far as Joe's hatred of Gary Gygax, well, I don't know if that's joking around or serious. Only Joe can answer that question. But I, I think maybe Joe's just a little jealous of Gygax's abilities as a DM. And, and he knows he's going to have a hard time ever striving to, to meet that, that lofty goal. But as far as games go, yeah, I, I think there is a difference in different kinds of games. And I think Cyberpunk, like I mentioned in the previous episode, does a good job of straddling, quote unquote, air quotes here, realistic game and a playable game. So I I think it does a good job there. I know Daniel normally likes to play more abstract games like D anD D, where combat's abstract, and I I have no problem with that. In fact, I embrace that, and recently have definitely gotten in the camp that you shouldn't try to make D anD D combat. Of course, I don't know about new D anD D, but I'm talking about Gygaxian D anD D, the TSR era D anD D and clones thereof. I don't think you should make that try to make that realistic. I think that's folly. Because it's a super abstract system, and its strength is the abstractness of the combat. So D&D combat should be abstract. I'm with you 100%. I, I think that the Friday Night Firefight combat system that Cyberpunk 2020 uses, that part of that interlock system, works really, really well. In case you're wondering why Daniel's doing that. The combat section of Cyberpunk 2020 is called Friday Night Firefight, and it calls its combat subsystem Friday Night Firefight. So that, that's why he's using that term. But ultimately, the, the overall system is the Interlock system. And Interlock Unlimited, if, if you search and you don't mind web pages that look like they're from the 90s, you can find Interlock Unlimited online and you can download all that, which is kind of a fan enhancement uh, of the Interlock system that Mike Pondsmith help develop for our Tal- Talzorian games, but yeah, no, I think we're all good. Um, I, I like cyberpunk's combat, but it's cool if you don't, cause you know what? I like abstract D and D combat. If I turn my mind off and accept it and embrace it, which I'm learning to do. So it's all good. Next up is John. He is a frequent caller to the bandits keep podcast. I believe this is the first time he's called into this podcast. He has a podcast page set up on Anchor, Ghost in the Machine Publishing, which I've put in the show notes, but I don't see where he's released any episodes yet. He is also going to weigh in on the initiative idea. A little bit late for the contest, but any ideas are very welcome from John or anyone else. So if you want to call in with thoughts on initiative, please do. Let's hear what John has to say.
2: All arbitrary initiative systems are arbitrary how about since we're playing role-playing games that initiative be based on what your character is actually doing if they're doing something out of the ordinary if they're just sitting there trading blows with their opponent just alternate you can assume that whatever initiative there is is part of the combat role if you missed that doesn't mean that It was a physical miss. It means perhaps that you never saw an opening and therefore never had initiative.
0: This call ties in with a series of calls John has done over a number of episodes over the Bandit's Keep podcast. So I would direct you over there for the full context. But he has been talking about role-playing during combat, which I'm all in favor of. And in fact, I've just recently left a message for Daniel that will probably appear in his next episode. So maybe you'll get a little more context there, and Daniel's asked John to expand on these thoughts. So maybe you'll hear more over in bandits. Keep reference this. I think role playing during combat is important. I think taking those kind of actions, but we do take those actions. It depends on the system. If we're playing an abstract game like D anD D, where a combat round is up to a minute long, then John is one hundred percent right here. To me, what you do there is you roll the dice you see what happened whether you've hit or not and then you can narrate co- quote unquote role play you know what happened that round you know during that minute if if you and the gm and the group wants to do that now with a large group with a big combat they may not want to take the time to do that and there are different kinds of games i have no problem with that i th- i think that's a lot of fun i like to say what i'm trying to do roll the dice and then depending on the die roll then between the gm and the player this is a cooperative thing Put together, describe what what really happened with the Die Result, and and you can obviously role play during that description of the actual events how they fall out. If you're looking for a system that already exists that does this kind of thing, Dungeon World and the Power by the Apocalypse games may be of your interest because they don't have a set initiative order; they just go by narratively makes sense to happen next. To, is whose turn is next? So, John, you may want to check out the Powered by the Apocalypse games. They sound like they they would kind of fall into what you're describing a little bit. But hopefully you'll call into Bandits Keep and, and give a little more context over there to continue this conversation. That's the last of the calls that I have. So now I'm going to switch gears and we're going to go into some unboxings. Our first unboxing is courtesy Ray Otis of Plundergrounds. Not that he sent me this, but I bought this because of his podcast. I will link the episode in the show notes. This is a zine that he reviewed that I said, I need that. So I bought it. So I ended up buying this from floatingchair.club, which is the company that distributes this. It is a recyclable pad craft paper, ma- paper mailer, size number one. So we're going to open this up. Like I say, this was, a, I believe, a Zine Quest project. I think that's what Ray said. But um, I'm just going to try to get it out of here. And what we have is one copy of Not a Place of Honor. And somebody hand wrote Enjoy in pencil on the receipt. Very nice. It's in a one of those plastic sleeves like you get comic books in with cardboard behind it, which is very nice. Well protected, well packed as the receipt, which is nice. Um, like I say, Ray has reviewed this, so I don't think I'm going to bother talking much about it because he's already reviewed it. There will be a link in the show notes. But effectively, this is a zine to create um, places to store artifacts in your in your games. But just sounded uh, add really cool and really unique and something that would be kind of cool to have um, in my collection if I ever run a fantasy game again which may or may not happen. Our next unboxing is an Amazon box. You've all seen the cardboard Amazon boxes probably. If you haven't, then you're not missing out on too much. This is a 26-pound, gross limit, 35-pound, size limit, 50-inch Amazon mailing rectangular box. And we are gonna open it up with our handy-dandy Swiss Army knife. Tinker Edition, of course, a official version of the Swiss Army Knife that we use here at Variety Cast. I see some kind of pentagram symbol, which means it's got to be RPG. Oh, okay, yeah. So what we have here are some Kolchak novels. The pentagram symbol is the Necronomicon, which is a collection of Lovecraftian stories with Carl Kolchak in them, and of course the Night Stalker. We have the novel from C.J. Henderson, Kolchak, and the Lost World. And we have a backup copy, because I had it was on sale or something. I don't know why I bought it. But we have a backup copy of, I decided to get, I have a copy of the Savage World Solomon Kane game somewhere, packed up that I don't know where it is. So now I have two copies of it, in case they go out of print, since I don't, I think they still have the license, so I'm not sure. You can still buy the PDFs, so if you don't have the PDFs for Solomon Kane and you want them, you may want to buy them before those go away. I don't know what the time frame is going to be on that, but that's kind of why I bought it. Next up is from LB Holdings in Niagara Falls. No clue what this is. This is a um, box that is 8 inches by 10 inches by six and three quarters inches. So, let's open her up and see what we have in here. I was trying to let you hear a pop sound there, but they've taped this box very well. So, I'm going to have to actually cut all the tape. Not all of it, but cut most of the tape. (laughs) That ripped the cardboard instead of cutting. Like I say, the tape We've got a couple layers of tape on here, which is appreciated, and they and they're using bubble wrap inside, which is also appreciated. We have a little mailing thing in here. Oh, this is eBay. Oh, so um, Rob over down the heap will appreciate this. Some of the other folks will appreciate this. This is something that was an extravagant purchase on Jason's part that I should not have bought, um, but. Sometimes you get nostalgic, and you want to see something, and then when you go to look for it online, like, it's not streaming. You ever want to see a show that you you saw a few episodes on TV back in the day that you can't get anymore? Well, this is that show. In fact, this stars one of my favorite movie stars, a gentleman named Lance Hendrickson. This is nominally in the X-Files universe, I think. But this is Millennium, the complete DVD collection. So this is probably like a 15-year-old DVD set. Hopefully all still work. But we have all three seasons of Millennium. There's um, six discs for each season. Um, commentary by the directors, writers, actors, featurettes, and making of documentaries for each season. Millennium came out at turn of the century. Um, and it was about, as far as I remember, some kind of cult that was trying to bring about end of the world or have to do something around, you know, involving the, the year 2000. And Lance Hengerson is a former FBI serial. Um, he's a profiler, and he's kind of tracking this down. He plays Frank Black in the show. I remember trying to watch it when I was on back in the day. Didn't watch it as much as I wanted to. And, of course, you can't find it anymore. So I blew way too much money in getting these DVDs so I can watch the complete show. Very cool. Next box. I told you I had a couple of these, didn't I? The next box is kind of odd-shaped. Spend more, smile less. This is an Amazon box, too. No, it's not. This is Titan Games, Inc. Huh. If you know who Titan's Game Inc. is, you know what this is. I don't know who they are, so I don't know what this is. It's 16 by 11 and a quarter by eight inches. So let's see what's in here. Um, I mean, I think one board game I've ordered recently. Maybe it's that. Holy moly! This is a big box for. So the game takes half of the box up. I bought this is a halloween game for next well it's not really a halloween game because you play it solo it's a legacy game it's so in board games there are things called legacy games and they're games you permanently modify as you play usually they have campaigns but you permanently rip things up or you put stickers on things or do things to mark what you've done so for every player they're going to be unique but you can kind of only play them once there are workarounds to permanently destroying things but this is Betrayal Legacy, which is based on the Betrayal in the House of the Hill game. And I got this with the idea my son and I could play through this campaign. It's like a seven-chapter campaign or something like that. And um, and he really likes Betrayal, and I really like Betrayal. My wife is lukewarm on it. She likes a Scooby-Doo version that I have of Betrayal. But she wouldn't be interested in a long-term game of it. And two players for Betrayal is not really good because the way Betrayal in the House of the Hill works, you're... You should have a bunch of players, at least three, and you're investigating this haunted house. And at one point during the investigation, one of the players turns into the bad guy, and controls the haunt. You know, whatever it is, the, it could be a monster. It could be it could be all kinds of stuff. There's 50 different haunts in the base game. Um, While well, this is a legacy version of that game, like say, like I explained, this is like a campaign version of that. Um, but with any two of us, I, I figure this might be fun. And this gets my wife out of playing, but it lets me do a, a board game with my son. We can, like, set up and just leave set up and, and slowly play over months, probably. So that's why I bought that. Um, yeah, so very cool. Betrayal Legacy. Next box. Told you this had a lot here. We're actually in this now. We only have two boxes left. This next one's another Amazon Prime box. Um, and this is the same size as the other one. And I think I, I mentioned I was picking up all the Solomon Kane stuff before it was unavailable. Yeah, this is um, another piece of that puzzle. Another hard copy. This is the Savage Foes of Solomon Cain. You, you know, I've got all the stuff. I bought all the PDFs from Drive through years ago. And I, I think the only one I had originally was the base book. So that's the other hard copy. There's another... Book, right? If it's in that box, or if it's going to come later. There's another Salmon and book I ordered too. Um, that they had. I think there were three of them, three or four books. They printed printed books, and I got them all. Um, I didn't have them before. I only had the base book before. Oh, it's underneath the other book, Traveler's Tales. Yeah, I got that too. Okay. So that way, if it all goes out of print, I can still play someday when I'm old and retired in the old age. Last thing I have here is just a USPS box. Oh no, you know what? This is, um, yeah, this is, Never mind. this is something else. This is CPAP supplies. So we don't need to open that for you guys. Okay, that is the unboxing. Thank you everybody for joining us for this episode. I hope you learned something. I hope you had a good time. I hope it was thought-provoking. If you have any comments, questions, complaints, if you want to weigh in, if you want to introduce yourself to the doctors, you can do so. All you have to do is leave a message using Anchor. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you attach an audio file, I can play it on the air and make you famous. You can also reach out to me on a variety of different discords. I want to thank all my callers. I want to thank you, the listener, again, because I really appreciate your tuning into here. What, we, what we're talking about. I want to thank Ray Otis, who does the Coffee Club clip art for the show. I want to thank T.J. Drennan for the wonderful music. And I will talk to you guys next week. Maybe it's your auntie or a joke about by your spouse. But the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in
1: the box? What's in the
3: box?
1: What's in the box? In the box? Well, the
0: audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head. And the only question left is if I could see him dead. Bring on the gold. Bring on the go
3: There's a dustbin in your and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the woods.
0: Shipper. Don't look away. Don't look away. Don't look away. Don't look away. Well, the zombies are arising and the world has gone to hell. We're living for the dying
3: and we're dying for the string ray.